Fulfilling our potential by living life with growth and relentless execution is our purpose statement. It's easy to be that happy-go-lucky boss that's high-fiving everyone when you're crushing it and making a ton of money every month, right? But how are you reacting when you're losing money? How are you treating people? How are you acting around the office? You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate of Things. I am Nate Trumpio, your host, and I am really excited to have a dear friend of mine. But not only is he a friend, he is an amazing operator, a true leader at that, and more importantly, a great person, Mr. Pat Flynn from Yellowbird. Uh, Pat, welcome to the show, man. We're here to talk about some things around the Real Estate of Things. Nate, really appreciate you having me. Um, I've enjoyed your friendship over the years, and it is always fun doing these with you. Likewise, man. I I always consider you as one of those go-givers. So what we're going to do is go and give a lot of content and value to the audience here. So you listening, uh, buckle up. We're in for some action. Um, But but Pat, man, we all have different roads uh, in getting into different sectors of real estate. And uh, I know your story, but I'd love for you just to share with the audience first about you and really how you got into real estate. We'll take it from there. Sure. I'll keep it brief too, but basically grew up uh, much like you in a small town in Massachusetts. You know, we're both mass holes. Um, so growing up, my old man was, uh, was a Marine and then worked at the post office. So in high school, I was dead set. Uh, I was definitely going to be in the military, but I always had that competing thing in my mind where I'd really like a lot of money too, but I want to be in the military. So those were the two thoughts that were in my mind in high school. I ended up going to uh, Merchant Marine Academy at Kings Point um, on Long Island and through my time there, uh, transformed a lot, but found out through like freshman and sophomore year and started reading that uh, Robert Kiyosaki, who's, you know, obviously author, rich dad, poor dad, he's one of the top um, wealth instruction writer, guru type people in the country, right? So he went to Kings Point as well um, and also played rugby there like I did. And the Kings Point rugby kind of alumni thing is very tight and Kings Point Ruggers kind of come back and give back to the school a lot. So when I was a senior, uh, Robert Kiyosaki came and spoke to our class. And it's just, he does that once in a while for free just because it's his alma mater. So if he's in the New York area, he does that. And that planted the bug of real estate and passive income into my mind. So um, graduated school in 2009, went to work in the Merchant Marine, but bought my first property in 2010. Very good timing, right? Graduated school um, during the Great Recession. So it was hard to, if you, I made a good income Merchant Marine and it was hard to buy a bad real estate deal, right? In 2010, 11, 12, really hard to screw that up, right? So fortunately I started with nothing during that time period and had a great income, your merchant marine and offshore drilling rigs. Uh, I worked six months a year, was home six months a year. So um, throughout 2009 to 2013, I lived in Massachusetts and did a couple flips there, acquired some rentals. In 2013, sold them and moved to Florida and uh, started over in Florida with a little bit of money in my pocket and started buying rentals in Jacksonville Beach, Florida um, in 2013, which luckily phenomenal time to do so. Did the first couple on my own um, 
but got deeply involved in the real estate investing community, made some connections. And in 2016, I left my job offshore. It's also when my daughter was born and uh, jumped into it full time. But luckily enough, I was, you know, had all those years of experience and screwing up um, and meeting the right people before I quit my W-2 and jumped into it full time. So uh, once again, 2016, 2017 was a great time to jump into it. So fortunate timing and uh, just interest in it got me into it. Look, we all have different uh, walks of life and ways to get into real estate, um, but it, it's always I always love hearing your story sort of uh, built up by your own bootstraps. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. We all have these pivotal moments. Uh, always cool. You know, Robert Kiyosaki's touched a bunch of people in real estate investing. Still to this day, I don't even know how old he is, but he's getting up there. Um, and cool that you have that as an influencer there. And um, it's, it's a great segue because that got you then into the company now, Yellowbird, which we are one of the partners of. Um, so let's catch up to speed, you know, given the military uh, background and, and, and from your parents and school you went to. Let's give a little like name, rank, file of Yellowbird itself. So we haven't touched on your location. Now where you're at, specifically your market, um, team size. And, you know, it's a little vanity, but talk to us about sort of deal flow and the, the transactions that you do. And we'll take it from there. Cool. This is really good timing just because I just presented about Yellowbird and the transition we're going through um, just last weekend. So I have all these numbers on the top of my head right now. So uh, December 2021, um, Yellowbird numbers, we had uh, 50, 55 employees. We bought 420 houses in 2021 um, and had about 14 million out in hard money lending. So uh, we the goal was to get to that 30, 40 house a month um, purchase flow. And we got there that year. And uh, um, moving on, we 2022, uh, we were on track to do 500 flips. And, you know, Q2 that year, you had that first interest rate or Q2 that year, you had the, the big interest rate bump over that summer. So we kind of slowed down, but on track to do 500 in the beginning of the year. And ended up like right at 398 or so in flipping volume that year and about the same amount of hard money out. I love how nonchalantly you say all that. Like it's just it just rolls right off the tongue, man. I mean, it's a lot of hard work and effort and, and sweat and tears and blood that goes into that, man. So keep keep going, man. Keep going about the team and and and, and where you're progressing to and through. I mean, I 400, 400 is a lot. We we are uh, we're in a lot of networking groups around the country and. Uh, the 400 plus foot flip range puts us in kind of the, the top tier of guys around the country doing that. But I'm the only reason we were able to get there is because I saw guys like Homestead Road um, and uh, guys all around the country that were doing volume like that. And I modeled our system after theirs. It's a little different, but modeled a lot of what we did after them. And people like, you know, Don Wender at DLP, and the guys at Homestead Road taking different things from their operation and implementing them into ours is the only way we were able to grow right like that, right? In the in the beginning, um, when I was in it on my own and just kind of borrowing money from Kyle, my now business partner, it was very much the genius with a thousand helpers model. I was doing everything, you know, that's the Jim Collins thing. Uh, I was doing everything. I was going out, I was doing transaction coordinating. I was going out and closing deals. Um, and it wasn't until started to treat it 
more like a business and allow other people and our salespeople to make money and have that vision of what it looked like to get to 30 houses a month that we were able to get there. Um, up until that point, I was just in the whirlwind day to day, picking up the phone, going to houses um, until I was able to put that vision out there and put it on a piece of paper and start hiring for it. That was the only way that we were able to get to a 400 or something volume like that. We were 400, 400 houses. That's a, I said we had 55 employees, but part of that's property management. The 420 house operation was 35 people in the office, 10 of them very highly skilled sales team, four people answering the phones and a four person marketing operation, and then transaction coordinators and managers and leaders. So that's what it took to do that much volume in houses. Um, and I have my I have my comments on if I think flipping is a business that should be scaled to that level or not. Um, I'm, I'm kind of negative on that, but uh, well, wait, wait, wait. All right, you're doing my job for me, make it easy. So, is flipping a scalable business that you can and should do? Answer that question. Uh, no, I I think I, to run a flipping operation, the best, most efficient way to run it, it is with a team of seven to 12 people, a couple acquisition guys. And to do that volume of 150, 200, 200 houses, I think that is the optimum way to run a flipping operation. Even if, even if five people, like the smaller the team, the better and slowly ramp up. But to try to flip in different markets or do it around the country, I just think it's A, too capital intensive. B, there's too many high level decisions that need to be made, right? The purchase of the house. What is the scope of construction? What are we going to sell it for? Repair request negotiations. So to delegate and elevate what you need to do to scale a business and flipping, there's just too many high level decisions and the market changes too quickly. So companies like Open Door, OfferPad, um, they, you know, a lot of funding up front, a lot of smart people, smarter than me behind running those operations. But I've just seen I've just seen flipping from the ground level and how like almost county to county and city based it is too. And I think it's, I think it's too difficult and not, I think you could do it and start to scale in different cities. I don't think it's financially worth it or something that's something that can work long-term. That's interesting, man. And, you know, you made some great points about the iBuyers there. And I think, you know, you listeners, you really always want to chase these vanity numbers of, you know, units done, transactions made, gross profit margins, people on the team, you know, but nuts and bolts, you got to ask yourself, is it worth it? And at the end of the day, is it profitable? Because driving transactions and driving revenue is one thing, but driving money in your pocket. And then more importantly, something that you and I always cross our paths on is like fulfillment and what your why is, is, is another one. And I think we're going to get to that in a little bit. I want to talk just real quick then uh, about like sort of the box that you guys operate in, it, you know, so that's a lot of transactions. Like, so what's your model? You're flipping, you're wholesaling, you're holding rentals. I know the answer, but share with the audience, please. So once again, just not very scalable. Uh, the way we operate is me and my two business partners, Kyle and Steve, who you know, um, and we're well capitalized and we're deploying capital on opportunity. So different than these hedge funds who, once again, smarter than us, right? They're taking the long term on it. They're buying that. 1980s and newer product, 1,200 square feet and higher, three two. There's a reason they have that buy box, right? And there's a reason that investment's gonna gonna pay off for them long term. With us, 
we're more localized, um, we're deep in the market, and we're, we're taking advantage of any opportunity. We're doing kind of anything with a spread in it, uh, or you know, friends we know or people we do deals with in town, if they have a unique situation and we can make some money off it, we'll do it. Um, we buy the lowest, crappiest lot in the hood and we've done million dollar flips. So all over the place, we're opportunistic investors in the Northeast Florida market. And the reason we've done so much volume and done so well here is we know the market really well. So for us to go to Orlando or um, you know Cincinnati, Ohio, or some of these other markets that people are doing well in and think we can go compete at this level is just un unrealistic. I can make a decision in Jacksonville in two seconds. Orlando, I don't know the neighborhoods and I don't know the street by street. So just kind of another reason it's not scalable and another reason we've been successful is we, you know, we're open to doing a bunch of deals. We have a bunch of exit strategies and we know all the players in the market. So that allows us to do a volume like 420. It's interesting, you know, because it sounds like you got like two, uh, you know, conundrums colliding here where, where at one hand you're saying, you know, things aren't scalable because maybe you need to sort of keep the main thing, the main thing. But at the same time, you guys have been extremely successful going sort of very open-minded and an open box and sort of taking what comes to you because you're very opportunistic and you really know your market and allows you to do that. So I guess I just want to point one last question on this topic. You know, if you could rule the world tomorrow and recreate it at the same level that you're at today, would you still be very wide and open and taking a plethora of opportunities? Or do you even think there's enough volume to focus in on only a medium price point or lower price point or luxury price point? Or, or do you think you, you need to, to go sort of big and, and, and wide? That's an interesting question because, and I'm sure we'll get into it in this podcast, but if I, we're not going to scale back up flipping again, um, the market was absolutely nuts, especially in Jacksonville nine, nine months ago with the, the cost of capital being basically zero. Wall Street had a huge target on Jacksonville that we are going to go in and buy up this whole city. So the way that we reacted to Wall Street money pouring into the Jacksonville market during that post-COVID up until summer 22 2022 time period, um, I don't think I would have done it any differently. Uh, we definitely had expense creep. Maybe I would have watched expenses a little harder, but we were up spending $350,000, $400,000 a month in marketing at that point. And uh, just, you know, because we had the confidence to do it. And I think we took advantage of that Wall Street money grab. And it was a good deal all around, right? I talked about this. These hedge funds that are in Jacksonville buying these houses, they paid what I consider high numbers for them. But I know they're in it the long term and these are going to be this is a smart bet, right? They have patient capital that they can wait 20 years on those houses or whatever their, you know, whatever their term is there. Um, I think we capitalized on that time period um, as good as as anybody else did. And I would do very similar things, maybe watch expenses and watch um, waste and, and just sloppy hiring a little bit just because we needed bodies. But if I was going to run a flipping operation during that time period again, I don't think I would have changed much. I think I think we took great advantage of that time period. There we go. That's the positivity I wanted to hear from you because you've been very critical about a monstrous, you know, flipping operas, op operation and acquisition operation. Um, and you guys have been super successful. And I know you've learned a lot along the way, which I know is also important to you. So so quick question then. So. You talked about the team being up to call it maybe a peak of about 55 people, which is it's a, that's a large scale team. 
what's the team just bodies amount right now? Because I know you said you'd run it maybe at a seven person if you could, but what, what's the what's it at today? The flipping operation and people in this office is down to nine. Um, and not even all of them are working on flipping. So we're almost to like a, what I think is the sweet spot. It's, it's me, Kyle, and like three others that are working on the actual flip operation. Um, we still broker for hedge funds and do, and do some other things, but eight people in this office, um, you have seven or 10, uh, maintenance people for the current single family home portfolio in which there's 300 or so houses left and four people, um, four people managing leasing those houses. So that's what the team looks like now. And so if, if you didn't catch that, you know, that is 300 plus doors that you own and operate and they're, they're single family rentals, correct? Yes. Yep. So you're, you're not only, you're not only flipping and buying and acquiring for that, but you've kept some, what, how, what determines you to flip the property versus hold it as a rental? If you can give just a quick sort of synopsis on how you look at that decision. Sure. So this is this is year over year decision making. So it's not always the same. But our most recent year, uh, 2022, where we kept, I think we kept like 57 houses that year. Um, it was a, it had to be a good house, and um, it was a tax play for us. So Pareto 80-20 principle. Um, what we basically did was we took we took our top 20% of houses, which equates to 80% of your income if they throw flow through the PNL. And uh, we kept those in the rental portfolio as a tax plan. Interesting. Mr. Pareto's just touches all ends of things. We talk about that a lot in our sales organization, but it's, it's so interesting. We looked at 2021, like what are our profit? What did we make? How much money do we make in 2021 net? And uh, 80% of our income came from 20% of the deals. It's just, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in it, but it's just crazy how it, it's it's just across the world. It goes, it, it's, it shows its face all the time. It touches on a lot. It touches on a lot. All right, so let's dissect then. You you know went from you, I would call it similar amount of transactions. You said 2021 was 420, around about 55 people at its peak or towards the end of it. You still did 398 here in 2022. Um, again, same amount of units. You're now down to you know a nine-person team focusing on this, plus some other sort of asset managers and things on that side. But let's talk about like that transition of the year of 2022 because a lot happened there, and I know you saw a shift in the market. And then you guys, being the smart operators that you were, shifted your business and your strategy a little bit. So can you please dissect that for us? Yeah. So what happened to us is a little unique. If you have others flippers listening to this podcast. When we were doing a volume, let me be clear on this, when we were doing a volume of 40 to 50 houses every single month, we were not doing full on construction on 40 to 50 houses every single month, right? We probably renovated full out maybe 25% of the homes we purchased, purchased during that time period, full on like top, you know, toe to head renovations. Most of our, uh, properties we disposed of, we'd close on them. Um, we paint the outside, we clean them up real nice. We leave them as is package them in groups of 10 and 15 and, uh, sell them to these hedge funds. Um, and they, that's the way they wanted it rather than us renovate it. They'd rather put their own stuff into it and renovate it their way. So it was just, it was a great deal all around. So we were either selling it in these packages to funds 
or we were selling them to Open Door. We sold a ton to Open Door, right? Which is not really Open Door's model, but they became the company that every investor like kind of offloaded their garbage to. And now you go on an MLS right now in Jacksonville and you see like a lot of the houses we sold them last summer are still for sale. So it's like ugh, tight, t t tough spot to be in. And not only me, like other investors, everyone was offloading stuff to them. Um, so just an interesting time, but that was our model. Most of it went to these fun relationships we had where they were buying groups of 10 to 15 of our houses and doing their own renovations on them and they would rent it. So that was our model, very profitable. The reason we could move so quick because construction's painful, right? It's localized and it's painful. Anyone that's doing 40, 50 houses a month and doing construction on all of them, that is impressive. That was not our operation. Right. So we were closing on them, balance sheeting them and selling them in groupings. What happened in June of that year was the 75 bit bump, uh, bit bump by the Fed. Right. Um, the Open first one. What? <laughs> the first one of many. <laughs> the first one. Right. That was the first big one. Right. The first unprecedented bumping up 75 um, in one month. Right. So overnight in that month that hedge fund offer dropped 30%. So we're doing that sort of volume. We're buying some thin deals, right? You can't do that sort of volume and have everything 80-20 principle, right? Some of these houses were in the bottom 80%, right? So uh, when that offer drops 30% over the night, overnight, you have to change everything you're doing, right? And, and just wanna like say that again, it, it, we couldn't talk to a lot of people about this because most flippers weren't selling to Wall Street, right? So if we were flipping all of them and doing them retail, the Jacksonville market didn't drop 30% overnight, right? That was not really affected at that point. So all of our flips were still selling fine, but we had all these thin margin houses that were, you know, that were earmarked to go to Wall Street that we know now had to renovate to make no money off. So we battled through that time period and it was fine. And we got all that stuff on the balance sheet, off the balance sheet. And we actually didn't lose a lot on the pieces of real estate we were selling. The profit margins were just way thinner. So when you have a combination of that and some expense creep, um, we had a couple of negative months in the flipping operation, but it bounced back pretty quick uh, because we reacted quickly with um, I took over a, a lot of pieces of our, of our accounting, not actually doing it, but just looking at reporting and looking at expenses, slashed expenses. Kyle took control of all the sales. So um, it's it's during a chaotic time period like that. Uh, I was actually having this conversation with Fred Lewis the other day. Very important for ownership to step in and uh, act during time periods like this, rather than bury your head in the sand and think everything's going to be fine. So. We both stepped in, Kyle took sales, I took reporting and what was happening with expenses. Um, and just, we made hard decisions. We slashed the marketing budget because we couldn't buy as much, you know, we couldn't buy as much as we were before. We were paying about $10,000 in marketing a deal, but our average margin on a deal was 35, 40 grand. So that those numbers worked then. I'm just showing the numbers, our, our margin on deals in Q3 three of 2022 was about 18 grand down from 40 in Q1. And then it was down in Q4 to about 8,600 bucks. So those numbers don't work. If you're paying 10 grand in marketing for a deal and your average profit per deal is 8,600 bucks, doesn't pencil, right? So we had to start finding our houses and our deals in cheaper ways, um, cutting expenses and just making a new vision for the company, right? 
because you have 10 highly talented salespeople all making great money and you say yes to them on all their houses every day. And now you're saying no to them on nine out of 10 of the houses they bring through. So it was really not the financial piece. It was the, it stung kind of across the operation because we had this vision of doing 500 houses and growing and that was just gone. Um, so creating the new vision over that time period and getting everyone on board at a time that's kind of uncertain and people were doing really busy doing all this work before and now they're not busy at all. So the aftershock through the office um, was difficult during that time period, even though we're doing everything we can to right the ship and, and, and figure out the right path forward. It's still, it's, it, it was still tough to get clarity during that time period. I know you're a candid and vulnerable guy, so I'm going to ask you just a, a question here. It's like you talked about some, you, know, you, you guys made it through it. So at the end, it's a, it's a glory story, but um, some hard times and some hardship there. Like what was the hardest part of that journey, which I'm sure sort of felt like it was years going through the, the hours and days and weeks and months. But what, what was the hardest part of all that for you? I'll start with this. Um, it was a tough time period, but... Uh, me and you had a phone conversation about a month ago, and I still stand by um, during times of financial and economic distress, um, you get to figure out what kind of person you really are, right? It's easy to be that happy-go-lucky boss that's high-fiving everyone when you're crushing it and making a ton of money every month, right? But how are you reacting when you're losing money every month? How are you treating people? Um, how are you acting around the office? Um, so I was aware of, of what was happening and it forced me and Kyle and me and my partners to have these honest and open conversations about the future that we would have never had if things were just rolling like the world and like the way they were before. So not only was I having honest and open conversations with them, honest and open conversations with my wife, um, my family, different peoples around, people around the office. So it was an incredibly mentally clear time for me. And it, it still is like, as we try to find the path, the hardest part for me during that time period was not being able, being able to deliver that clear, um, simple vision to everyone in the office. Me and Kyle weren't exactly on the same page with what the future looked like, which is really healthy, right? Where neither of us, he's not a yes man. I'm not a yes man. If we disagree with each other, we're going to tell each other we disagree. Right. Um, and, and, you know, Kyle's a phenomenal partner and, and you know, has much more uh, experience in real estate with me. But we were having great disagreement conversations about what the future looked like. And we were making progress with that. But I couldn't deliver a clear vision that we were on the same page with to the staff, which killed me and it killed them, too. And that's what ultimately how we got down to the level we're at, because if. If you're leading and you can't give people a clear vision of where the hell you're going, then it's it's going to start to deteriorate, right? I think back to the time two years ago when I was like 30 houses a month. That's where we're going. This is why. These are the numbers. And it was like lockstep. The sales team was on board. The marketing team was on board. The transaction coordinators and the leadership. Everyone knew exactly where we were going and why. And it felt so good. And we got there. Right. But now we're in a time period where I didn't know what was going to happen. My main focus was keeping the salespeople making money. But you had people that weren't that busy because they weren't, we weren't really marketing as much anymore. And I couldn't tell them what it looked like in six months because I didn't know. So that was the most difficult part for me watching. We, we never have people quit 
watching some people quit, um, not being able to give raises when I should have because I didn't know where we were going. So watching the team kind of deteriorate during that time period was very difficult for me. Man, you know, again, just that's what I love about you. You're always so candid and, and even vulnerable at that. I think, you know, as you listen to this and you're an active operator, whether, you know, you're sort of fresh into it or you were into it uh, or you're at the size and scale, you know, anywhere in between that and, and where Yellowbird and Pat, you, you are here, you know, I think it's just th this market shift has taken its toll. And I think it's just really important for you to be real with yourselves and your business on what needs to happen. And, you know, sort of lick a frog or eat a frog, whatever that silly fr um, uh, phrase is, each day. And you've got to sort of stand up to the tough stuff. And especially as you have a team, you need to own that as well. And uh, I just, you know, for what it means, man, I just commend you for how you led the team through that. And uh, you and I, over the days, we've always talked about you know, some big core principles, which I want to talk about leadership in a minute. Uh, but vision being one of them um, and, and sort of finding not only your own why, but your people's why. And when you see that change, just because of market and emotional reactions, you know, that really has a detriment on a lot of things, not only your psyche and your emotions, but even people physically. And then you saw even last year, the great um, resignation where people just quit. And the funny trend was that a lot of people ended up coming back to the places that they quit from because it's just this emotional state of uncertainty and unknowns and what the heck's going to happen tomorrow or next month gets to people. Um, but it sounds like you were a true leader through all that. So before we get to the topic of leadership, which I want to hit here is one of our last ones. But, you know, so you talked about vision. Um, so you had some very clear vision and very healthy. Hey, we got to figure out a new vision and a new business plan or a new goal that we need to set. So, you know, we're not I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Um, but you know, there's been some breaths of fresh air here recently as we've gotten into some parts of 2023. We'll see if it lasts or if it's just a, a short sort of eye of the storm moment here where we feel all right for just a second. Um, but what's the vision looking forward? Um, or are you still working on that? Recently, only about a month ago, um, you know, me and Kyle sat down and what's happening in Jacksonville right now with all of our flips, cause we still have a ton of inventory that's going through the system. Our flips are flying. Right. If you not like it was 10 months ago, but if you have a good product priced right, bought the way we bought and you do a great job with construction, it's going to move. Right. The market's not lingering because interest rates are so are so high right now. and People don't want to give up that two point five, three percent they have from a year and a half ago. I think that's part of the reason there's not a lot of inventory coming on the market, but people still need to buy houses, especially in Florida. So um, our inventory is moving. We're seeing deals out there. I think there's an opportunity to market now. So me and Kyle sat down and it's like, you know, do we think we can get back to 25, 30 houses a month right now? Yes. I have confidence in the market. I think things are strong. I think they're stable in real estate. I think, you know, maybe we end up in a recession. Who knows? But from what we're seeing in the real estate market, things are stable. So then we had to talk about, you know, we've been talking about getting out of flipping for a long time. And nothing, nothing against flipping. It's a great business, but our purpose statement um, at Yellowbird is fulfilling your fulfilling your potential through growth and uh, relentless execution. Um, and one more time, say that one more time. Fulfilling your potential by living life with growth and relentless execution is our purpose statement. And we here are so good. Our leadership and our management team is so good. And we do such a great job with alignment sheets and helping people become leaders and moving up that 
flipping is never going to scratch that itch or fulfill that potential. We need to go down a road that's scalable. And I can give my leaders like, like Sarah, Ben, and Gabe, I can give them more responsibility and allow them to grow and allow them to make more money. That's never going to happen flipping houses. Flipping houses is a great business, but you've heard me shit all over the scaling of flipping it. We're never going to grow it anymore. It was actually when we did 420 houses in 2021, me and Kyle sat down. We're like, if you're not growing, you're dying. Are we doing 500 next year? And it was like almost painful to say that. Like it sounds like, and then to go to 600, that just sounds horrible to me, right? <laughs> Life shouldn't be like that. So going and just staying at 30 is not an option because if I want to hire great talent, they need to grow, right? They're not going to be happy with me just doing the same thing over and over again. And in 10 years, we're doing the same exact thing. You know, you're not going to have hire great talent doing that. And we wanted to hire great talent. So even though we could have gotten back to 25, me and Kyle sat down and was like, are we going to be happy at the end of this year, at the end of two years? It's like, yeah, man, great. We got back to 25. You know, are we, are we happy about that? And the answer was no. Like neither of us give a shit. We're not going to be, we've already, we're already there. We're not going to be excited to get back there. So it's not that we don't think there's market opportunity. And that's what I'm trying to tell people. It's like, just because Yellowbird has pulled out of marketing, like doesn't mean we see like anything wrong with the market. Like I, I think it's a great time to go out and market because everyone's pulled back so much. It's, it was a very personal decision on what we want our future to look like. Um, so we shrunk down the office. Um, Kyle's got a couple, you know, Kyle took a little more control of what's going on with the flipping operation. He's got a couple people helping him over there. Um, and then I have a couple people on my side. We still have the brokerage. We're still brokering for hedge funds. We're still lending money. Um, but we're looking for that next thing. And that next thing, I, you know, people ask me, is it in real estate? Is it not? Um, I, I truly think it is just because of the relationships we built. And I just, I just love this industry. Um, but I want to find something that's a great opportunity that there's not a lot of people doing that takes some risk and requires some problem solving and that can actually have a good impact on the city too so that's what we're looking at i've been spending my time getting more involved in the kind of the political scene and jacksonville and talking to bigger operators so i think you know like alex safakis and andy allen that are doing different sort of development things downtown and i don't just want to follow in their footsteps and like move to development or move to multifamily. i think we're grinders here at Yellowbird and we can find a little niche to dig in on, whether it's uh, whether it's affordable housing or something along those lines. Um, I think there's a ton of growth that's going to happen in Jacksonville over the next few years um, for what Alex and, and a bunch of people are doing downtown and the politicians that are getting elected and uh, you know different people's investment in Jacksonville downtown. I think it's going to grow significantly. I'd like to be a part of that. Um, so that's where my head's at, but during time periods like this, I've wrote a lot about it. It's tough to go from living in the whirlwind every day and being so busy to having white space in your calendar. And I'm just trying to be very purposeful with my time of, uh, not just being busy to be busy. And it's okay to have some clear spots in your calendar where you can think and meet with some people you wouldn't normally meet with and, and think about the future. So that's, that's where we're at. Certainly not clear yet, but that's kind of where I'm leaning. That's awesome, man. Look, I think you have clarity, but maybe just in a different way than you've previously thought about it or other people may look at it uh, and that you do have you do clearly know some of the things you don't want to do. And a lot of that's just because you, you sort of been there and done that. Um, and that's one thing that I've always loved about real estate and specifically the investing side 
is there's just so much more to learn. There's so much more to experience. Uh, you can go through some failure, but you keep grinding through it. And I know a word that, that I always think of you and your team of uh, is grit. And that's something that you guys uh, and girls certainly, certainly have. So I, I want to sort of end on this last topic. We could probably do a whole episode on this, just knowing some of the deep conversations you and I have had over the past. But I want to just talk about leadership because uh, you listening to the podcast, you, you've heard Pat, if, if you read anything related to like leadership, self-development books, you ha- heard a lot of buzzwords, uh, things like whirlwind, mission, vision, purpose, values, uh, and things of that nature. So leadership, Pat, I know this is a easy question for me to ask. It could be a tough one to answer. Like, How do you look at leadership? I look at it as inspiring a team to accomplish a mission while being authentically yourself while doing so, right? So uh, I think there is a ton of different ways to lead. And I've seen good, bad, and ugly over my time at military school and just being on merchant marine boats and being on drilling rigs and in different careers. Um, so I think anyone can lead. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in that camp that there are some people that are naturally more gifted, but in order to do so, you have to be authentically yourself. But it's inspiring people. Um, it's it's inspiring people to you know to accomplish a mission and a goal. And I think the best people, um, not only you, you know we've talked about alignment sheets before, but I think the power of aligning individual team members' personal goals with what you want to accomplish in your business and that why being connected and you making that connection, you the leader making that connection to that person's personal goals in their life and connecting it to Yellowbird's goals and watching those two flourish together while being yourself doing it is, uh, that's how you create the magic there. And if you can teach people, um, and you're never gonna grow and scale without phenomenal leadership on me, right? It's absolutely impossible. Um, So teaching those below you as an owner to also become leaders and also care that much um, I think, I think that's the magic there to get to the next level. And honestly, I think that's what we're really good at. So, um, I think it's a unique skill and not that it's wasted on a flipping operation, but we're capped. We're capped there. It's capital intensive. Um, I think there's other business opportunities that, um, you know, you know, we could, our skill set is, is much more aligned with. Man, that was that was powerful. As a student of leadership, I feel like I've read that in a book somewhere. And if it's not, you should write one on it. But, but Pat, man, um, just we've touched a lot in, in this episode, man. I just thank you for just providing value and insights and being candid um, and talking about things that I know, you know you've learned firsthand, good, bad and ugly. You're not afraid of it. And uh, I know that there is a ton of success ahead of you and the team. I'm excited to see you continue to go towards that. Um, but just lastly, just share with the audience, uh, how could somebody find you or reach you in Yellowbird? Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm on social media. I think if you just search, if you search just Pat Flynn Jacksonville on social media or um, Facebook, you can definitely find me there. And I'm really responsive there. I, I don't know my exact name on, on Instagram because Elaine has taken it over and I'm not sure exactly what we're going to go with there. But if you just search Pat Flynn Jacksonville I'm right there or Pat at Yellowbird R-E um dot com is my email and I, I respond to everything and, and to your point nate i really enjoy our conversations and during a time period like this where everything's a little slower just advice for other real estate people out there that 
are having a tough time figuring out what next right now, having conversations with smart people and getting outside of your inner circle that you deal with every day and figuring out what other people are doing and why has been just eye-opening for me. Um, and uh, every time I talk with you, Nate, I, I truly, truly enjoy our conversations and I have a different perspective. So I want to thank you for that. Hey, you're too kind, man. We have to just thank you uh, again and being on the real estate of things and talking about sure as heck a lot of things, man. But we'll call that a wrap with my man, Pat Flynn at Yellowbird. And uh, we'll have to get you and uh, likely your, your mythical partner, uh, Kyle, on the show here sooner than later, too, man. But keep crushing it, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on the road to success. Thanks, Nate. And thank you for listening to another great episode of The Real Estate of Things. And we thank Pat Flynn for being a great guest. Please don't forget, subscribe on your favorite platform. And you can find all things at our website, realestateofthings.co. And you can check us out every Tuesday for a new fresh episode to drop. But man, this was a great one. And thank you again, Pat. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.